As we begin, I'd like to offer a prayer for the parish found in our prayer book. Almighty and ever-living God, ruler of all things in heaven and earth, hear our prayers for this parish family. Strengthen the faithful, arouse the careless, and restore the penitent. Grant us all things necessary for our common life and bring us all to be of one heart and mind within your holy church. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, good morning and thank you for coming to the contemporary worship service. Those of you joining us right here in this building and those of you who are tuning in online, we're so glad you're joining us today. We are in a sermon series, as many of you know, but we don't assume that you've been to the previous ones. So we're going to do some quick reflection of what has happened. We're going to dive into chapter four, and then we're going to unpack what John was doing for his community and what it might mean for the St. Michael community. The problems are not exactly the same, and yet the method is very helpful. So here's what we're going to look at to begin with. I'd like to just start with a background on 1 John, um, the author, as you might imagine. It's traditionally been the writer of the Gospel of John, um, as well as the beloved disciple. That's how the church has understood this author. But in fact, it may have been someone who followed in the line of John, someone from his community. That is not plagiarism. That is not bad. In the ancient Near East, somebody would carry a proclamation, and then the faithful would carry that proclamation after they died. So that was good. That's kind of what you did to make sure that your story lived and, and continued on. So whether it was actually John or a follower of John, it was consistent with his theology. Probably written about 100 of, of the common era. Location, probably Asia Minor, now northern Syria, Turkey, and southern Greece. So that's the area where it's likely that John's community was located. Community. It was a wide group of people, but it was probably primarily Jewish followers of Jesus who had been in the synagogue worshiping as Jews, but now following Jesus as Messiah. And there came a conflict where that really couldn't exist anymore. Either they had to leave or they had to be removed from the synagogue. But now you have this fledgling community of faithful Jews who see Jesus as the Messiah and they've been separated from the synagogue. The problem that John is grappling with is an important one, and it's who is Jesus Christ? Not a small question. Who speaks on behalf of Jesus, and what does life in the Spirit look like? Who is Jesus? How do we know who represents the Spirit of Jesus? And what does life in the Spirit look like? That's what the epistles of John are about, and that's what we're going to look at today. So I would suggest to you that John's community, as every community of Christians in every generation, have to grapple with three questions on the way to discipleship. Believing, belonging, and behaving. Believing, belonging, behaving. Every generation of Christians has to ask ourselves, what do we believe? To whom do we belong to? Whom do we trust? And how do we behave given that believing and that belonging? I want you to remember those three Bs because they're going to be important not only for what I say today, but as we move into the fall at St. Michael, you're going to be invited on a very deep level to reflect on and grapple on those three questions as we seek 
to deepen our discipleship. Okay, so here you go. Flash summary of 1 John chapter 1. God has revealed his love for us through his son, Jesus Christ. God is light, but we fail to shine with that light because of sin. And through the work of the cross, Jesus has removed our sin, and once again, we can shine with the light of God, chapter one. Chapter two, if we are in Christ, then we should walk as Christ walks, makes sense. If we hate our siblings, then we are not in Christ and we are not shining with the love of God. This starts getting tougher. This is where it really meets the road. If we are not loving our sisters and brothers in Christ, then we are not living out the light of God. We must conform ourselves to God and not the world. The world is passing away, but the love of God lives forever. And beware of those who proclaim a gospel other than the love and righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we're gonna go a little more into that. Chapter three, we are children of God and we're followers of Christ. There's a struggle between the children of the devil, which is sin and lies, and the children of God, love and truth. But John wants to make clear the matchup isn't even close. It's not like, you know, children of God and children of the devil, and they're really equally matched. In John's mind, it's not even a competition. You have to be aware of it. You have to know that there's resistance. But when it comes to God's love and God's power and God's light, there's no comparison. And we recognize God's spirit because we are children of God. That is what has happened when we are incorporated into the body of Christ. We become children of God and we begin to recognize the spirit of God. And so, which leads us to chapter four, because of all of that work that God has done, that Christ has done on the cross, that we are now um, in the body of Christ, we can actually test the spirits to read what is of God and what is not. Now, I know Episcopalians do not like getting into a lot of spiritual battle type language because it can set up some really false dynamics. It can make it very much us against them. We separate ourselves from the world. So Episcopalians really prefer to say, love, 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 heaven, 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 period. Am I right? That's what Episcopalians do. We don't wanna talk about children of the devil. We don't wanna talk about the devil. We don't wanna talk about spirits that might actually seek to harm the church. And what I'm saying is if we're going to be faithful disciples, if we are going to deepen our discipleship, we proclaim love and we proclaim, proclaim an enemy to love, resistance to that love. And what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to get sharper in our lives of faith, in this church, in our friendships, to begin to see through the spirit of God and ask ourselves, is that of God? Is that of love? Is that of light or does it have some lesser source? And to be prepared to stand against that. Because if we don't know what the resistance is, then we can very easily fall in kind of accidentally to not living out what Christ intended. So let's talk about testing the spirits. John has been super intense. I mean, he's been talking about light and dark, love and hate, sin and righteousness, lies and truth. It's because his community is in crisis. They had the apostolic witness. They formed as the body of Christ. Then there began to be false prophets coming along, sharing a different kind of gospel. People started to peel off from the community and follow some of these false prophets. And now you have a community that is not clear who it is, 
who they follow, where do they belong, and how do they behave. They've gotten a bit lost. So John's letters are bracing. It's a wake-up call um, that things are happening which are not good for the body of Christ. So John now equips us, and I'm going to give you three steps to help you discern the spirits, to help you test the spirits. And in a sense, it ties into what I said before about the believing, the belonging, and the behaving. So here they are. The first question that you should ask of any person who claims to represent the gospel of Christ, and you can either ask them out loud or you can wonder in your heart when someone is preaching, when someone is teaching, when someone is evangelizing or whatever they may be doing in the community, what does the prophet proclaim? What is their teaching about Jesus? Now, that may seem obvious, but in John's mind, and again, I'll keep it within John's context, the understanding of Jesus was very specific and it really mattered. And so in John's community, John held, as we do in the Orthodox faith, that Jesus was fully human. He really lived and died. He was really among us. He was one of us. And Jesus was fully divine. Jesus was the revelation of God. Jesus was the word of God, the light of God. Jesus has ascended to the Father and Christ rules for eternity. So that sense of really human, really divine, you must hold those together. That is an orthodox stance. Now, when you hear orthodox, you sometimes think conservative or old-fashioned. I don't want you to think that way. I want to change orthodox for you. Orthodox actually means I'm going to hold things in tension. I'm going to hold the humanity and the divinity together, even though my mind can't understand this. See, what happens is in our rational mind, we want to solve the tension. We want to collapse the categories because they're too hard for us as human beings. And so we say, well, he was a really, really good man, really, really good teacher, that's about it. Or he, he wasn't even really a person. He just kind of hovered over, over the earth. Um, he just appeared to be human. Those are great heresies. We can do a class on that someday, what the different heresies are. But those are the two main ones that John's community is dealing with. Fully human, not God. Fully God, not human. The orthodox stance says, I, and the creed does it. If you look at the creed when we say it, it holds those realities in tension and makes us uncomfortable. It creates a space, a gap, where we get opened up, we can't figure it out, and then God comes into that gap. So John's community is proclaiming an orthodox faith of Jesus. So that's a question of belief. That's an example of the kind of things, and it's not just about Jesus. You could talk about the Spirit. You could talk about God. You could talk about the church, the end times, all of these different doctrines. What do you believe? What do we believe? And what I suggest is in our time, we have not had to learn how to articulate what we believe. We haven't had to do it. It hasn't mattered. We haven't been in peril or in danger. But times will come where we have to be able to give an account of the faith that is within us. And part of what St. Michael must do, and if we're not doing this, we're dropping the ball, we must equip you to be able to speak about the faith that is within you. And it's not cookie cutter. It's not one size fits all. You have a way that God has pressed on your life and you will speak authentically out of that place. But if we begin to collapse the categories, lose that orthodoxy, then we become in a place where we're actually no longer 
Christian in the truest sense of the word. It's something else. So the first is a question of belief. What does the prophet proclaim? Second question of discernment. To whom do they belong? Do they belong to Jesus Christ? Do they follow him as Lord? Are they part of the apostolic community? Do they discern truth within community? So belonging, let's think about this a little bit. Nowadays, one can hold a faith and really not connect with a community. It can be a solo endeavor. And what John is saying is part of discernment is, I, may, I look at it with my mind, I look at it with my heart, I try to understand what this thing is before me, I'm testing the spirit, but I can be deceived, I can be wrong. And so what I have is a group of a community, a group of faithful people with whom I discern what is true. And we test things with one another. And there may be times, and it happens all the time, general convention, all the councils of the church, we may land somewhere as a church that I personally disagree with. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's the right stance. And yet there is something about being in council, being in the church, landing in a place and saying, that's part of what we do as church. It's not anything goes. And then what I do is I'm faithful with my resistance. If I'm super clear that the church has it wrong, then I am in that place of faithfulness and I work within the church to bring about the change that the Spirit is bringing because the Spirit does that. The Spirit says, oh, I've got a new thing. Oh, I'm going to surprise you. This is nothing like you remember from when you were a child. The Spirit does that. But it doesn't compromise who Jesus is, Jesus' identity. It's usually something about how it's expressed. And so sometimes things need to break in order for the Spirit of God to be revealed. So, the second thing is um, the sense of belonging. If someone's teaching something, do they belong to a community or are they just a solo preacher? And I would ask you that as well. Whatever your firmly held beliefs are, do you test them with your spouse, with your children, with your spiritual group, with your pastor, with your Christian ed group? Do you try things on so that you are sharpened and corrected by the community? That's what I'm talking about with belonging. We really must belong to a faith community and it's kind of why we've been harping lately on come on back. It's not just because we miss your faces, which we do. It's because it is really hard to walk the life of faith in your house, in your living room. It's, it's hard to do it well. And so when we come together, then we discern the spirits together. So the first is what do you believe about Jesus? Second is who do you belong to? Whom do you trust? And then the third is, so then how do I behave? Now, I don't mean to get snarky, but I feel like some churches do really good on the believing. They're crystal clear on who Jesus is. And they're actually really good on belonging. I mean, they're part of the church. They come to small groups. But the behaving? We are told in John's epistle today that the children of God act in love. Love for their siblings, love for their brothers and sisters. And if you are not acting in love, you are not a child of God. And it's hard when you really believe you're right on an issue, when you're really firm, whatever the issue might be, I don't need to repeat them, you know what they are in our world right now. And what happens is you become attached to the issue rather than attached to love. Because what love does is it leaves room to learn something 
to share something, to grow. And I'm afraid right now that some of our Christian brothers and sisters, some of us in this room, me, myself, we get locked into an issue and a position and we forget how to love. That's the behaving part. And John's really clear. You don't get to hate your brother or sister. If you are hating your brother and sister, you are no longer acting as a child of God. And so we have to live with that kind of constant awareness. It doesn't mean you can't, we have a core value here. It's called kindness. And we often think that kindness means just being nice to people, never creating a row, right? No, not here. We define it as kindness is loving someone so much that you will go to them and talk with them and work through the issue right? Not just abandoning the conversation, not abandoning the person, but leaning in to kind of a muscular kind of kindness. That's the kind of love we're talking about. Sometimes it's really hard, and sometimes we get into serious disagreements, and the last thing we want to do is pass the peace. That's why we pass the peace every Sunday. We know that not all of you like each other. The church knows that. And yet, liturgically, every time we do the Eucharist, we pass the peace because we model what we seek to become. That handshake, that hug, that kiss reminds us that we are called to love even if we don't get along, even if we don't see eye to eye. I never want to be part of a church that's one issue or the other. I want it to be filled with people of different viewpoints and different positions and then to figure out how to love in the midst of that. That's Christian community. So those are the three secrets to discernment, the three uh, ways to test the spirits. Ask yourself, what is the person or I believe? Whom do I belong to? Whom do I trust? How am I behaving? And right there, you have the tools to begin to distill, to sift out what is of God, what's of the world, something lesser, And so that's very powerful teaching um, that John has given us. So I want to think about our context today. Um, John's problem in his community was a little different than ours. Um, We are not beset, thanks God, by huge conflict. That's not our place. That's not what's happening right now. It's happened before, but it's not where we are right now. I think our threat, what St. Michael is facing, and basically Christianity in America is facing, is consumer Christianity. I'll tell you what I mean. We look at Christianity as a buffet. What dish do I want today? What do I want to leave behind? It's super casual. Let me give you an example. So the apostolic witness, what do I believe? Um, It's kind of like, well, what part do I like? What part don't I like? And the creed becomes kind of negotiable. So here's what I would say is a better way of doing belief in America today. It's to let the creed actually be as powerful and ancient and orthodox as it is. And to understand that it's the church's affirmation of faith. Your affirmation, if you were to write your own, might be a little different. But that's the church's affirmation of faith. So in a sense, you don't get to abandon it. You get to relate to it with your own confusion, your own uncertainty, um, but understand that that creed represents the church's faith. So as for belonging, what happens in consumer Christianity? I actually only belong to myself. I'm not responsible for others. I'm certainly not responsible for a faith community that may require something of me. So it's kind of like, I'll come, I won't come. 
And I, I want to say to people sometimes, not any kind of shame, no kind of guilt, but to say, if you're part of a community where it doesn't matter if you're here, you shouldn't come. Because that's not a community worth being part of. A community that is worth being part of is one where you are missing, we feel it. We miss you. We miss the gifts you bear. And so that kind of more muscular sense of belonging, I think, is what Christianity is calling us to. And yet, I think in our country, it's become quite consumerist in its mentality. And how about behaving? I think we see this pretty clearly. I talked about it a little bit. I love those who agree with me. I ignore or hate those who disagree with me. We may be children of God, but I'm pretty sure heaven will be filled up with people just like me. It's not the way it is. If it's orthodox, if it's holding the tension, that means the person who holds a view different from you is a beloved child of God and that you may spend eternity with them. So you might as well practice now how to do that well and then give thanks to God's grace that it gets worked out in the fullness of time. But really, I mean, I think we have to look at our behavior and we have to look at are we actually practicing the way of Jesus or have we been co-opted by the political parties and the political platforms? Because that happens. All, it's easy. And we have to figure out who are we focusing on? Are we focusing on Jesus? Christian discipleship is countercultural. That's the kind of thing we're inviting you into. Orthodox belief holds things in tension. Belonging to a faith community isn't only about what I can get, it's also about what I can give. And our behavior is the true indicator of what we believe and to whom we belong. Behavior doesn't lie. That's why our Jewish brothers and sisters say, I don't really care what you think or what you intend. I care about what you do. That would be good for us to take on, to look at our behavior and see if it mirrors the life of Christ. Believing, belonging, behaving. These are not scary words, but they are hard words because they lead us to accountability in Christ and a community that's actually showing the light and love of God. Amen.